0: before we look into god's word together let us speak with him again let us pray heavenly father we thank you for the immense privilege it is to come before you this morning and to actually hear your voice lord we thank you that your voice is indeed contained in the scriptures that we have here before us but lord we are sinful creatures and we are so often deafened uh, to your voice by our own sinful hearts So, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit's help this morning. May he enlighten our minds as we learn more about yourself. And so that we go from here greatly encouraged this morning to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, in the lives that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do you write letters? Do you actually do that anymore? Do you get out a pen and piece of paper and actually write a letter with your hand? I must admit i don 't write letters uh, anymore. I used to as a kid, I remember being a pen pal and having and it used to i don 't know whether you can do that anymore have pen pals have people from overseas. I think the internet has pretty much ruined letter writing. I write emails, which is a form of letter, but it 's not actually getting out a piece of paper and writing a letter by hand and I do write some letters where I actually have uh, a I have a full letter rather than just an email I send off and I actually put it into an envelope and put a stamp on it. But um, usually I type those. I don't actually write them by hand. And uh, usually they're related to some sort of um, matter to do with bills or something. It's not usually a letter to an actual person uh, like a, a family member that people used to write in the past. I think writing lengthy letters to actual people rather than companies is a thing that is becoming more and more a thing of the past. Why is that? Well, as I said, I think it's internet that's ruined that. We just, uh, Or we have the telephone as well these days. Uh, we call people if we need to speak to them about something very important. Or even uh, we do it via Skype. We can have a video conference with someone. I don't usually rely on Skype. I find it to be still a bit unreliable. Uh, but I know that many people do it, particularly to um, family members that are overseas. Uh, the grandkids get on Skype and, and uh, have the video footage as it's going across with the audio uh, so that people can find... Out more about one another. But at the time of the New Testament, letters were an important matter. They were written for important reasons, and this is what I want to look at today. I want to look at the Peter, letter of 1 Peter and why it was written. Because at the time of the New Testament, Writing letters was quite laborious and it was quite an expensive task. It wasn't easy to get pen and paper like we can do down at Officeworks today. There were no Skype, video conference calls with people that you could uh, make very easily. Um, and it was to send a letter to someone was actually quite uh, difficult. I mean, we didn't have the Australian Post Service that we have today where you put it in the post and it's quite reliable and it'll get there within the next couple of days. Usually, if you wanted to send a letter to someone, you had to try and work out who you were going to send it with. And you'd actually send someone along. And so if it's about an important matter that a letter is written, then we should really understand why was the letter of one Peter written? Why was it written? What was the whole purpose of this letter being written? Peter obviously spent a lot of time and energy on it, and then a lot of... Came at a lot of expense for him to actually send this letter away that we've been slowly working through and have finally come to the end of. Now, you might think, well, why are we talking about the purpose of the letter now that we're about to finish 1 Peter? I think I've preached over 60 sermons on 1 Peter now. And uh, we've come to chapter 5, verse 12. And in chapter 5, verse 12, it actually tells us there the purpose of the letter. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. The purpose of the letter was to encourage. If you want to follow my main points this morning, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. The purpose of the letter was to encourage, and that's shown to us in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. Why did Peter write this letter? What was the purpose? Well, it was to encourage, encourage people. What does it mean to encourage someone? It means to spur them on, inspire them with confidence, give them hope, or courage. The word courage coming from the word encourage. You want courage in yourself so that you will be able to do something. Now, why would Peter want to write an encouraging letter? You might say, well, that's the kind of letter you want to write. You don't want to write a discouraging letter to someone. But why would he particularly want to write an encouraging letter at this time? Well, remember, I've said it quite a few times as we look through this book. Peter was writing to people who were suffering, to Christians who were suffering painfully for being Christians. And so these people need encouragement. When you suffer, you need encouragement to keep on going. Otherwise, you might stop what you're doing, you stop the good work that you're doing, and give up. And that's what there was a risk of happening with the Christians that Peter was writing to. We see that the letter is about suffering back in chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. What was going to happen if they suffered? Well, they might be surprised. And if they're surprised, then they might think that something strange is happening to us. And this isn't the way Christians are meant to be experiencing life. And I really... Either I don't know God or Christianity is not true and I should really give up being a Christian because this strange experience of suffering is coming upon me. And so Peter knows that and wants to encourage them with his letter. And then there's also the risk of being ashamed for being a Christian because of suffering. Verse 16 of chapter 4, it says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If someone inflicts pain on you for being a Christian, or ridicules you, insults you, as we uh, see that uh, people were doing to um, to the early Christians, uh, they they heap abuse on them. Uh, we saw back in one Peter chapter four, uh, verse four, it says they think it's strange that's non Christians that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you when you're getting insulted, abused for being a Christian. What do you feel? Well, the natural inclination is to be ashamed for being a Christian. And so people who are getting insulted, getting abused for being Christians, need encouragement or otherwise they will be ashamed for being a Christian. They need encouragement. And Peter knows this and that is why he is writing this letter. He wants to encourage them so that they will persevere in the faith. He knows that... When we stand and heap abuse, we need someone alongside us to come alongside us and to encourage us to keep going. That's why it's so great as a a parent knowing that I'm a part of a parental unit. There's parents in the family. It's so wonderful to have Jill there to encourage me in my role as a father. And I'm sure Jill appreciates having me around to encourage her in her role as a mother. She needs encouragement because, let's face it, having kids is a form of suffering. It's a form of blessing as well, but it is a form of suffering. There's great suffering that comes through being a parent. And you need encouragement, or otherwise you might perse- you might give up, not persevere and say, yeah, someone else take these uh, little terrors from me, and, uh, and I, I, just, I just throw in the towel, I tap out. We need encouragement to keep going. There would be days for most parents where they just feel like yeah, I, I, I just want to give up. And what should happen at those times? That's where they need encouragement. And that's what Christians need. There are days when it is so painful to be a Christian that you feel like just tapping out and saying, I give up. And so you need encouragement. And Peter is trying to do that with this letter. He's trying to write to all these Christians who are undergoing immense suffering for being Christians. Nothing like what we experience here in Australia. And so he wants to encourage them. But if you want to encourage someone, what do you do to encourage them? How do you speak to them? You say, I've got this purpose on my letter, I want to encourage someone, but what do I say, particularly when it's someone that's in great suffering, painful suffering that you aren't experiencing yourself? How do you encourage them? Are you lost for words? Yes, so often you know that you want to say something to build them up, but you just don't know what to say. And that's where Peter tells us, what he says to encourage people. He tells us the purpose of the letter is to encourage people, but then secondly, the purpose of the letter was to testify to the grace of God. That's my second main point this morning. The purpose of the letter was to testify to the grace of God. And we see that in verse 12 as well. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you, and testifying that this is the true grace of God testifying that this is the true grace of God. Peter wants to testify to something in his letter, which is good if you're going to encourage someone, testify about something, say something to them. What is he going to testify about? Well, he testifies to the true that something is the true grace of God, that this is the true grace of God. What is that? Well, obviously, it's not the false grace of God. He wants to testify to the true grace of God, something that is actually true about God. So what is grace? What is this true grace that Peter is testifying about? Well, grace is undeserved merit. When you don't deserve something, someone still gives you what you don't deserve. That is what grace is. Now, how is shown, How is God shown his grace? What is the this that is the true grace of God? Because he says that, that this is the true grace of God. What has Peter told us about the grace of God in this letter? Well, he's told us quite a bit about the grace of God throughout this letter. It's a very short letter, but nevertheless, he's packed a lot in and shown us the true grace of God. I mean, we can just look back to verse 10, just two verses back, where we can see God's grace there. In verse 10 of chapter 5, it says, "...and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ..." after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We see God's grace is mentioned there as one who calls us into his eternal glory, that we go to a heavenly home, and after we have suffered a little while, yes, we suffer here, but this is not the end, that we will go to this wonderful place and he will restore us make us strong firm and steadfast. And he's told us this at other points in the letter as well. Just turn back to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. If you want to see God's grace in all its glory, this is one passage that you can look at. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 where we read praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead what has he given us in his grace he's given us mercy and new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead we have this marvelous hope and into an inheritance." And what kind of inheritance? They can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith, he's got this inheritance for you, but then through faith you are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. He hasn't just given you this new birth and then given you this marvelous inheritance. He actually preserves you so that you will get the inheritance. He shields you with his power. And even though you suffer, he gives you some encouragement here in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. You're actually going to see Jesus Christ. That is a gracious act. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Do you know the joy of being a Christian? Why do you have that joy? God's grace. For you are receiving what? The goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are receiving salvation, and that is all of God's grace. And 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-10 to 10, tells us about the grace of God to us as well but you are a chosen people. Just wonderful that God chose me. He could have overlooked me and I would have been eternally damned, but God chose me to belong to himself. And I'm a part of a royal priesthood. God's grace again, a holy nation. God is making me holy with other people, a people belonging to God. I belong to God. That is part of God's grace as well. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, which is where I was, into his wonderful light. Once I was not a people, or part of the people of God, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why is that? Because of God's grace. Peter has indeed told us about God's grace. He's testified to God's grace again and again in this letter. And is that encouraging? Yes. It's marvellous encouragement. Amen, it's encouragement. Even if you're in immense pain, any kind of suffering, if you know God's grace, if someone testifies to you about the grace of God like Peter did in this letter to people, you have to be encouraged. You have to be filled with joy. Because no matter what suffering happens to you, no matter what man does to you, what are you receiving? you're receiving salvation. You've received salvation. You're going to a marvellous inheritance that never perished, spoils or fades. Kept in heaven for you who, through faith, you're shielded by God's power. It's so wonderful. And so if you want encouragement in the midst of suffering, then Peter does give it to you in this letter by telling you about God's grace. So what should be your response to the letter here? As Peter encourages you by telling you about God's grace, well, he tells us what we should do in verse 12. After telling us about the purpose of his letter here in verse 12, he tells us what we should do. And that brings me to my third main point this morning. The purpose of the letter requires a response. Stand fast in the grace of God. Stand fast in the grace of God. And we see that in verse 12. With the help of Silas, to whom I I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in it. If we want to stand in God's grace, then we need to know God's grace and depend upon God's grace. It's not enough to just simply know God's grace. We have to accept it for ourselves. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, this is what Christianity is all about receiving God's grace. You need to understand that your works, no matter how good you may think they are, are insufficient for you to be safe from God's wrath that he has towards sin and sinners who commit that sin. God is indeed a wrathful God and he punishes people when they sin. He is a God of justice and he administers that justice. And if you are to be safe from that justice of God, that wrath of God, then you need his grace. You cannot earn your way into heaven because all that you do is tainted. It's worthless. We saw that when Peter spoke in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 24, he quoted from Isaiah. What did he quote from Isaiah? He said in verse 24 of 1 Peter chapter 1, for all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. All your glory, all that you do, is like the flowers of the field. Pretty flowers. But really, what happens to pretty flowers? He continues, the grass withers and the flowers fall. The grass withers and the flowers fall. All your good works will be swept away because they're tainted with sin. And so what do you need? You need God's grace. You need God to graciously pay for your sins which you cannot do and pay for them at the cross where Jesus Christ took the wrath that you deserve for your sins. He became your sin at the cross so that you could go free from God's wrath. And so you need that to happen to you, just like it's described in this letter. I mean, I'm just sort of doing a bit of a recap today on 1 Peter, the whole book about this message of grace that's there. And we need that grace to be shown to us at the cross. What happens in verse 24 of 1 Peter chapter 2, describing Jesus Christ there? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, "...He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness." By his wounds you have been healed. That's what you need to happen for you. That your wounds are healed. That you were like sheep going astray. Verse 25. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How do you return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls? By Jesus himself bearing your sins in his body on the tree. There's no other way. That's how God's grace is shown, is by sending his son to die for you. Or verse uh, chapter three, verse eighteen, where it says the same thing again. Verse eighteen, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. How do you get brought to God? It's by Christ dying for you as an unrighteous person. And you're an unrighteous person, he's a righteous person, he dies for you as the righteous one that brings you to God. That's what you need. You need God's grace. Now, how do you get God's grace? How do you stand fast in it? If you're not a Christian, how do you take that step? Well, you need to firstly humble yourself before God. We saw that back in chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. What does it say there, verse 6? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Do you want to be lifted up in the midst of suffering? Well, you need to humble yourself. You need to come before God. And there's another way of describing humbling yourself before God, and it's called repentance. It means having a godly sorrow for your sin, despising your sin, and turning away from it, saying sorry to God for what you've done against Him and how you've sinned against Him. You need to humble yourself before God. And then what you need to do, you need to just believe, trust, trust, that Jesus Christ died for you. That's all you need to do. You just need to accept that Jesus Christ at the cross died for you, that that is the way that God's grace comes to us, is through faith. And we should see that back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter verse 7 talks about the grace of God. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. How do you get praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed? By having a faith that is genuine, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And Peter also uh, speaks about it in uh, verse 9. He says... For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How does you get salvation of your soul? It's through having faith. We need to believe that Jesus Christ died for us. If you do not already, then you are not in the grace of God. And you are outside his grace means that you are facing his wrath. Because it is only through God's grace, through faith, that you can be saved. The Apostle Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace you have grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. You need to have faith if you are to going to have God's grace administered to you. And if you become a Christian, if you humble yourself before God, if you repent. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, then whatever suffering, whatever pain you receive in this world, you are able to overcome that. That's what Peter is trying to do with this whole letter. He's trying to encourage you by helping you understand God's grace so that you can stand fast even in the midst of suffering. God's grace is reason for us to never be down. There's always, if you meditate truly on God's grace, then you can always experience joy in God, even in the midst of great pain. And so I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, humble yourself this morning, repent of your sin, believe that Jesus Christ died for you. What about if you are a Christian? How do you stand fast in God's grace? In God's grace? Because we need to work at continuing to stand in God's grace if we're going to suffer well. Christians who are down have really forgotten the grace of God. We need to be reminded. We we forget things so easily, and so we need to be reminded of God's grace. It's so easy to slip back from considering God's grace as we should. So how do we do that? How do we stand firm in God's grace? Well, we've got to keep remembering that our salvation is not by our works. It's all of God's grace. Just like I said if to non-Christians who may be here this morning, I said, you cannot work your way into heaven. We need to remember that as well. One of the easy things for us to do is to slip back into a works righteousness idea, particularly if we're fairly faithful Christians in that we are doing lots of things for God. We can start to think that somehow God owes us for the work that we are doing. And so we're no longer standing in God's grace. We're standing on our own works to get God to give us favour, to God for God to bless us. We need to continue standing on the grace of God, going back and back to our works and saying, no, these do not bring about my salvation. It is faith in God and so his grace that brings me to salvation. We see in the New Testament that people had this real problem. They often were going back to the law and starting to say, oh no, you need to do this us believe in Jesus Christ. Circumcision was a big problem because of the Jews. they constantly trying to say, if you're a real Christian, then you're a circumcised Christian. And we do it in our own lives. We start to work hard and we start to think that God somehow owes us. I see that in my own life. I do a lot for God because I get paid by you to spend most of my week reading the Bible, praying and talking to people about Jesus Christ it's easy for me to start thinking that somehow God owes me for all that I'm doing for him. What happens when I start to think that way? I'm not doing what Peter says here. I'm not standing fast in, G- in, in God's grace. I'm starting to stand on my own works. And so when if I start to have that mentality, when I suffer or am in pain, what do I think? I think, why is God doing this to me? He owes me. doesn't really know how... Faithfully, I work for him through the week, day in, day out. How much I do for him, how dare he do this to me? And so I'm not able to endure the suffering that I'm experiencing. But if I understand that it's all of God's grace, then when suffering comes along, I'm able to stand firm. God doesn't owe anyone anything. Paul says that in Romans 11 where he quotes from Job. He says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? No one. No one has ever given to God that, should, that God should repay them. And Paul was a very good example of someone who worked very hard for God but then said it's all of grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul says... For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Paul says that. I worked harder than all the other apostles. And you just read the book of Acts and you see what he gets up to and you see the letters that he writes. He worked pretty hard. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Who does he attribute all that work to that he does? God. But the, Not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so we've got to remember that the only way you ever stand before God, even if you serve God immensely and do great things, maybe you surpass the Apostle Paul in working for God. You've got to remember that it's by grace, God's grace alone that you're able to do that work and it's only by God's grace that you're able to stand before God and go into eternal life. We've got to keep clinging to the cross as a Christian. Now how do you cling to the cross? How do you keep standing in the grace of God and not on your own works? Well we need ongoing repentance as a Christian. We need to repent when we become a Christian, humble ourselves before God, but we need to humble ourselves again. I mean, we've got to remember, Peter was writing to Christians here, and what does he tell us to do in verse 6? He says, humble yourselves. He's not talking to non-Christians and saying, the non-Christians among you, humble yourselves. He's talking to the whole lot of Christians that are reading the letter. We need to humble ourselves. We need to have ongoing repentance because if you ongoingly repent of your sins, what does that remind you of? Your ongoing need for God's grace. You need God's grace every day. You don't need it just when you become a Christian. You need God's grace every day. You need Him to forgive you again and again and again and again for every day that is filled with sin. And so you need to do that. You need to, if you want to know God's grace, well, know how sinful you are. And do it every day, recognizing how much you've sinned against God. And then you need ongoing faith. You need to, as I said to non-Christians, I said you need to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. You need to keep doing that in your own life. Keep meditating upon what saves you. Ask yourself the question every so often. If, God was, if you were to die tonight and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You should ask yourself that on a semi-regular basis. Saying, okay, would I be, I, I'm an elder of a church, I'm a pastor of a church. So you should let me in? Or would it be, I, I serve at the church. I clean the church. I make sure your church is clean every week. God, you should let me into your heaven. I give so much money to the church. You should let me into your heaven. It's easy to slip into that mentality. That's where you've got to say, no. If I was to die tonight and God was to say, why should I let you into my heaven? I would say what I said when I first became a Christian It's only by the cross. The only reason you should let me into your heaven, O God, is because of your grace shown to me through Jesus Christ's death at the cross. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and that is the reason I get into heaven, is because of Jesus' work at the cross. And we need to do that again and again. We need to remind ourselves of God's grace. And we can do that by asking ourselves, probing questions, but also studying God's grace as well studying the scriptures it is such a privilege to have this book do you actually value it is it the supreme book in your house do you read it more than you read any other book in your house it is such a valuable book because it shows God's grace to us we need to be informed again and again of God's grace just as Peter wrote this whole letter he says I wrote this letter testifying that this is the true grace of God stand fast in it the whole book could be said to be this The purpose of this book is to testify to the true grace of God, so stand fast in it. Read this book and you will find again and again, it's not just Peter who tells you about the grace of God, it's the whole book. All the authors tell you about God's grace. And so you should be reading it. If you want to stand fast in God's grace, listen to the testimony of Peter, but listen to the testimony of the other authors of this book. And then another way that you can stand fast in the grace of God is by reminding yourself of God's grace in prayer. Thank God for his grace. In your prayers, regularly, should be a topic of God's grace. Praising God for being such a gracious God and showing that grace to you. Do you do that? Do you pray God's grace? Do you thank God for his grace shown to you so that you have eternal life? So we've seen this morning the purpose of Peter's letter and we've seen what our response should be, that we should stand fast in it. Have you been encouraged by Peter's letter? We've still got a little bit to go. I think I've got another two sermons at least from this. Uh, But have you been encouraged by this letter? Have you listened to Peter's testimony about the true grace of God? Are you standing fast? In that true grace of God. Do you stand fast by humbling yourself before God in true repentance? Do you stand fast by trusting in Jesus' work at the cross so that God's grace is all that you lean on? The only thing that supports you as you stand before the holy, just God is it the only thing you lean on, God's grace, when you undergo suffering and pain. Because this is the answer to getting through suffering. We're never promised in scripture that we won't suffer. This is the answer. It's God's grace. Do you remind yourself of the grace of God by studying the scriptures, the whole book, which speaks again and again of God's grace? Do you praise God in prayer for his grace? If you do these things, if you stand in the grace of God, I guarantee it, you will stand firm in the midst of suffering and pain which is indeed a gracious act of God in itself. Let us pray to God. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter of Peter, which does indeed encourage us in the midst of our suffering that we experience in this world for being Christians. And we thank you that it testifies about yourself and particularly that it testifies about your true grace. Lord, however, we thank you not just for one Peter. We thank you for this whole book, whose purpose is to show your grace so that you are glorified and honoured as the gracious God that you are. Lord, we pray that we may respond rightly to this testimony of your grace. We pray that we may humble ourselves before you continually, recognising our sinfulness and coming to you in repentance. Lord, we pray that we may trust In Jesus Christ's death for us, so that we do indeed stand firm in your grace. May we despise our works as a way of justifying ourselves. Lord, may we cling to Jesus Christ for justification. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.